Salt Company, what is up? Had a little trouble taking my mask off with this microphone. Um, my name is David. Good to meet you. Uh, if you haven't met me yet, I'm one of the guys on staff at Doxa Church. I get to hang out with Salt Company. I'm kind of like pseudo Salt Company staff, pseudo Doxa staff. I'm also planting a church the next couple of years, so I have like a few things going on, okay? But tonight, we're in John 6, okay? Um, real quick though, before we get there, I want us to just have an honest moment with each other. Who's, who's already had it? You know what I'm talking about. I have. Who else? Who's already had it? Okay, who hasn't had it yet? Okay, who has it right now? No, I'm just kidding. No one does. Okay, hopefully not. Don't raise your hand even if you do. Don't tell us. Anyway, I had it, okay, and I, my, my wife had some kind of health concerns, and so, I, and I think I got it from Will in the back, who I think got it from Mike, who's back there, and it just kind of, yeah, it, it ended up traveling around. So anyway, I had to quarantine from my wife and my son Silas and my dog even, like I didn't even get to have my dog, okay, and I was in this room for like 10 days, and one of the things that would happen is like, you know, my, my wife's like on full-time mom duty, and we've got this little two-year-old who's like running through the house, terrorizing everything. Um, and so she's like trying to fix meals for the dog, but I'm also like just in this room, and I, I can't, I'm not like leaving at all. Like we're really kind of concerned for her health, and so I'm like in this room, and so like when she has time, she'll like bring me food and like set it outside the door, and I'll like open the door and grab it, and then put my dirty dishes outside. Like, and you know what I'm talking about, right? Because some of you were in the dorms, like that's what you did, right? Like they brought you food. But there was one day, where my wife forgot to bring me food, all right? Like the whole day, she was having a horrible day and it was going very poorly out there with Silas, but I'm just sitting in, inside that room and, I, and she's having a horrible time. So I was like, I can't text her. I can't like yell at her. Like this is terrible. But I was hungry and that wasn't just one day. I was hungry like the whole time. And you're like, you, you look hungry. It's like, no, I had this body before quarantine. Okay, this is just what God has blessed me with. But I was hungry the entire time. And that's what today's about, okay? John 6 is about hungry people. That whole damn illustration was literally just pointing to this. Hunger, okay? By the way, was anyone else hungry during quarantine? Like when you were stuck, did you realize you were stuck in your dorms? Yeah. Sean? Yeah, you were hungry. Yeah, okay, I was hungry too. Jesus wants to talk about our hunger with us, okay? That's already the whole point of tonight. He wants to talk about a group of hungry people. He's gonna talk to a crowd of people who are hungry. Maybe you're not hungry now, but you will be later tonight probably. And he wants to talk to us about our hunger. But what he's going to do is he's going to talk to us about our hunger that's in our stomachs. And he wants to kind of use this like this whole time as like an illustration to talk about a deeper thing inside of us. A deeper hunger that like our stomachs, we can never seem to manage to satisfy in any lasting way. And he's going to have this conversation with this huge crowd of people who are like physically hungry. But what Jesus does is fascinating because he's going to use this physical hunger, this desire in their stomach talk about this deep longing and this deep void that actually exists in all of us. And we're never able to seem to fill it. And what Jesus is going to do tonight is he's going to say, hey, I actually want to talk about that because I know how to fix it. Okay? So three things we're going to see from this text. If you're not in your Bible yet, go to John 6. One, the hunger that satisfies. Two, the, or sorry, the, the hunger inside of us, two, the food that satisfies, and three, the God who provides it. And so the very first thing he wants to show us, he's going to talk about this hunger, okay? So John 6, 25, um, I'm going to read the very beginning of this, and then we're going to talk about it, okay? When they found him on the other side of the sea, 
they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Okay, now before we jump into this story, we need the context for this, okay? And by the way, whenever you're reading the Bible, you never just read a verse. You always figure out what's happening around these verses. Well, what just happened here in this story is it's in the Gospel of John. It's talking about the story of Jesus. And right before this, Jesus just got done doing this crazy miracle where he fed 5,000 people, right? And probably a lot of us, if we've grown up in the church at all, we've heard of this story. But there's this moment where Jesus is out. He's teaching crowds of people. He's teaching them. And like, he's like this celebrity figure. And so people are like following him in massive droves, right? And they're following him out into the wilderness, like away from the stores, away from the cities, because it's like the only place that's like large enough and has enough grass for them to sit down and like receive his teaching. And so it's Nighttime is coming, right? It's like about dinner time, and his disciples are like, hey, they've been with you like the whole day. Like, they're hungry. We don't have any food to give them. You gotta send them back into the city to get some food. And Jesus is like, nah, man, we're good. And they're like, what are you talking about? And so, like, see if anyone has any food. And there's this little kid, he's got, you know, some loaves of bread and some fish. And Jesus is like, yeah, just feed everyone that. And they're like, there's 5,000 people here. And then Jesus is like, just do it, man. And so anyway, they go and they feed it. And like at the end, there's like this massive heaping pile of like bread and fish left over, right? It's a miracle, okay? It's amazing, it's incredible, and it's in the Bible, and it's like literally did happen. And so the next day, Jesus is not there anymore. And so this whole kind of crowd of people who had this like experience of eating like this, this miraculous kind of meal, they get in their boats and they start sailing around Galilee to figure out where is this guy? Because <laughs> we got to do that again. That was an amazing party. That was awesome. That was free food, not just free food, but like miraculous free food. We got to do it again. So eventually they find him on the other side. And just like, just for just a minute, put yourself in their shoes, Okay. Like, this dude just did this miracle and, like, just literally took, like, a couple of fish and was like, boo-boo, and, like, millions of fish, right? Like, he just did that and you saw it. So, like, when you go up and talk to this guy, you'd be a little starstruck, right? And that's exactly what happens here because what they do when they find him on the other side is they do what all of us do when we meet someone famous. We get nervous and we end up asking a really dumb question, right? I mean, do you see that's what they say? They get there, this is the man who just did this incredible miracle, and the thing they ask him is, Jesus, when did you get here? <laughs> that's a terrible question to ask Jesus. They don't care about it at all. They're just like, you know, starstruck. Um, who's seen, has anyone seen a good, like a celebrity? Anyone? Has no one, has no one like seen a celebrity in person? Who have you seen? Jared, Jared Leto, that's like really good, yeah. It's like way, I don't have anything close to that. The closest celebrity story I have is my friend who saw John Stamos in an Urban Outfitters. <laughs> it's not impressive at all. Um, but that's literally what happens here, right? Like they get up, they're like, they're like, it's like Jared Leto, you're like, you're meeting him, you're like, hey, like tell me about how you do your acting method. And, and you get up there, you have all these like questions planned for him. And then when you finally get there, you're just like, when did you get here? <laughs> like, I don't know, I just love the Bible, and I love what Jesus does because he totally ignores their question, and he just goes, uh, let's not waste our time with that. Let's talk about something else because I want to talk about why you're really here. I want to talk about why you guys all got in your boats and rolled, I mean, rode all the way around the lake looking for me, and he says that the reason you guys went through all this trouble was because you ate your fill of the loaves. He's saying the reason you are all here is because you're hungry. 
And you think that maybe if you follow me around, like let's be honest, you think you're going to get another food miracle, right? But what Jesus is doing is he even kind of goes deeper than that. Look what he says in verse 27. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Okay, so what is Jesus getting at here? Well, what does it mean, do not work for the food that perishes, but instead for the food that endures? Well, what Jesus is doing is he's pushing, he's pushing past their stomach, and he's pointing at their heart. And he's saying that the real reason you guys are following me around is because you are all looking for something. And he says, you, you are hungry, but your hunger is not actually coming from your stomach. It comes from something way more central and way deeper within you. And yesterday, you had this experience where you were with this massive crowd of people, and there was this guy who was performing miracles. And yesterday, what happened, if you're really honest, was you got caught up in something that made you feel alive. And maybe for the first time in a really long time. But then you woke up this morning... And the reason you came looking for me again was because you woke up hungry again. And that deep longing within you, yeah, it was satisfied for this moment yesterday during that experience, but now that it's over, the longing is back. And you're here again because you're trying to just drown it out with one more experience like it. Can you identify with that? Trying to fill your life with one thing after another Party after party, relationship after relationship, accomplishment after accomplishment. I, I can, like significantly can relate to that. I think for me it was hobbies. And <laughs> I started kind of like into my, I have like a long list of hobbies. I'm going to tell you all of them, by the way. Um, for me it was hobbies. And I think the first real hobby I had was skateboarding. And I like fell hard for skateboarding because like this was like the 90s and it was awesome, okay? Like you guys grew up when like skateboarding was like, you know, like, oh, remember when people skated? Like, yes, I skated. It was awesome. And we would like go around. We would like find like pieces of wood in the trash and try to get our dads to build ramps with us. We tried to ollie skateboards. It was awesome. But then right after skateboarding, it was the most logical next hobby, snowboarding, right? And this one hit really hard. Like, I bought all the gear. I got, like, the Oakley goggles. It was awesome. I had, like, the pants that were, like, way too big and the coat that was, like, huge. And that went really well. And then it was paintball after that. And I loved paintball. I remember spending like a whole year saving to build this like amazing speedball gun. And it was awesome. I spent like all my money on the gun and then didn't even have enough money to buy paintballs. And so that's how that hobby ended. Uh, and then I got into cars. And I remember I put twin turbochargers on my first Mitsubishi. And it was like awesome. Like I tuned this thing. It was very cool. New suspension, everything. But then I had what I would call my more eclectic season, okay? Uh, I was really into yo-yoing, contact juggling, you know, circusy stuff. Um, I even had a unicycle. But then I made like a hard decision that I wanted to get married someday. So I got back into other hobbies, uh, backpacking and travel. I remember I drove to Alaska with my buddies my senior year. We road trip all the way out there, hiked on a glacier, got chased by a bear. Then it was photography. I started a photography business and I started shooting weddings. And then after that, it was videography. And I worked on shooting short, short films for a number of years. And then it was fixed gear bicycle with no brakes, which actually ended up horribly because you crash. Um, and I did. And then it was outdoors again. And this time I got really into rock climbing and then house remodeling. And if you would see my closet, 
It is like this sad museum of past loves and forgotten memories. And you go in my garage and you're like, is that a unicycle? And it's like, it is, <laughs> it is. And all of this, history, past, whatever, it's pointing to one overarching reality about me. And it's there's some part of me that no matter what mountain I climb, no matter what thing I buy, no matter what skill I master, there's some part of me that I cannot seem to satisfy. And you might look at me and you might think, wow, that is a man of many talents. But instead, what you should think is, wow, that is a man who has a really huge void he's trying desperately to fill and he can't figure out how to. And I know that there's some of you in the room who are like me. We do this all the time, and it's different. We do it in different ways, right? It's like one hobby to the next, one experience to the next, one relationship to the next. And we have this idea that we're always like one thing away from truly living, one thing away from finally being satisfied. Well, I know that relationship kind of was a drain and it didn't satisfy me, but maybe this next one will. And I know that ended poorly and it didn't help me, but maybe this next experience will. And Jesus is saying, it don't work. It won't work. It doesn't work. And, and I want you to just like put yourself in that moment and like picture Jesus saying that to you. Like you're there, you're with him. And you're, you're, there's, you're near like Galilee and you're staring into his eyes. There's something about his eyes that are like more profound than like any eyes you've ever seen. And it feels like when he talks to you, he's like staring into your soul. Like when he speaks to you, it's like he knows you in a way that no one on earth has ever known you before. And he's like looking at your heart and he's talking about this hunger within you. And it's like you, you feel like he doesn't just like have an idea of you. He knows all of you. And he's saying to you, the way you're trying to satisfy your hunger, it's not gonna work. And it's like you feel as he says this to you, you feel that like his words have like this kind of like love on them. You're like, I know you're saying this to me because for some reason like you care about me. And the reason Jesus says this is because he says that this food we're trying to feed ourselves with is the food that perishes. It perishes. It, 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 it's like one night it feels great, the next morning you wake up, it's gone. <laughs> Didn't satisfy. And so he wants to talk to us about the food that satisfies. Okay, so look at verse 27. Look what he says here. He talks about your work. He says, don't work for the food that perishes. But then he talks about the food that endures. And he says, this is something actually the Son of Man will give to you. And the reason is because it's on this son of man, on him, that God has set his seal. And so the very first thing that Jesus is saying, hey, this is what you have to know about the kind of bread, and we're recognizing we're still in this analogy, right? <laughs> this kind of bread that's going to satisfy you. The first thing you need to know about it is that it's not a wage to be earned, but it's a gift to be received. It's not something you can earn. And so what that means is this food is given, not earned, but they, they still don't really like get that. And so... It's like Jesus is not here to give you self-help. 
right? He said that right away. He's like, I'm not going to tell you about how you can earn this. I'm just telling you about how you can receive this. Because the way you, like whatever you do in your life to earn something, that what you're going to get is this thing that doesn't last. But this thing I'm talking about that you can receive, that will actually change your life. And so from the very beginning, like we're seeing that Jesus is not here to give us like self-help tips, how to fix your life. Like Jesus wouldn't have had a TikTok account where he'd have like, first way to, you know, change your life, second way, third way. He wouldn't have that, right? It's not him. You wouldn't find him on TikTok, I promise you. He's in the wilderness, okay? But look what he says in verse 28. Because they don't get it. Their whole worldview is so about doing stuff and doing stuff and doing stuff. And if there's any kind of life out there, it's something I can get, I can earn, I can work hard enough to get it, right? Our whole lives are built on this. And so they they can't understand this receiving thing. And so they said to him, verse 28, but what must we do to be doing the works of God? And this seems like a very normal religious question, right? And actually it might be the question you walk into Salt Company with. You're like, my life is kind of a mess. Uh, I don't know if this whole COVID thing is really just like God's wrath on me for my failure and sin. I don't really know about that, but uh, I need to fix my life a little bit, right? So you come in here and you got some questions and you're like, what are the things that God wants me to do? (laughs) Maybe there's like something that he could like tell me tonight from this book that I could go home and do and it would like make my life better. And so they ask him, what must we do to be doing the works of God, or in other words, what kind of life, what kind of works, what kind of things would make God happy, would make God pleased with me? And then Jesus answered them, he said, this, this is the work of God, it's that you believe in him whom he has sent. But then, look what they say, verse 30, so they said to him, well then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you, because you're all of a sudden saying it's not something we do, you're saying it's about you. So what are you gonna do to like, what work do you perform? And I say, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now what they're talking about is this really strange story in the Old Testament where God's people got released out of slavery in Egypt. And they're like wandering through a wilderness that's kind of like the wilderness they're in now in this story. They're wandering through this wilderness and like there's no food there and they're hungry. And so God like literally rains down like this manna bread dust on them and like provides for them in the wilderness. And it's this amazing story and it's kind of through the whole history of Israel. And you always look back at that and go, wasn't that amazing when Moses kind of like was leading us there and God rained down this bread from heaven? Wasn't that incredible? It was this miraculous sign. And so they go, Moses had a pretty cool sign. He's like one of our prophets. We have no idea who you are. Prove yourself. And so that Jesus said to them, verse 32, well, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he, that's weird, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. So they are intrigued and they're like, okay, Jesus, give us this bread. And in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, maybe you have heard that line before, and this is the story that line comes from. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But in the context of this story, you need to understand what Jesus is saying. Make no mistake about it. He's looking at a crowd of hundreds and potentially thousands of people. 
And he peels back their superficial issues and he gets to their deeper hunger, that deep-seated human desire within every single one of them. Thousands of people, thousands of different stories and issues and histories. And he looks at all of them and he says, I am what you're looking for. He says, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you will never thirst again. If you come to me, you will never hunger again. Every single religion in the world works completely differently than that. Every single other religion in the world is totally different. Every religion works like this. One person in the midst of a bunch of hungry people stands up, right, some kind of prophet, and they point to what they think is the bread, right? They're like, hey, here's the path, and it leads to the bread. This is the satisfying life. This is nirvana. This is enlightenment. This is kind of the path to God. There's the bread. Let's go. Every single religion in the world, that's how it works. But Jesus is the only person who stood up and said, I am the bread. Do not misunderstand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is doing nothing less than claiming to be God. That's what he's doing here. He's claiming to be God completely. Because the Bible tells us that our story began in a garden called Eden. And in, that, in the beginning of the story of the Bible, in this garden, the creator God, he walked and talked and he lived with humans, human beings made in his image, reflecting his glory. And because we sinned, the Bible tells us that actually in our sin and our failure, we actually rebelled against God. And when we did this, our relationship with God was severed. It was cut off. And because of this, we weren't just separated from our creator, but we were separated from our home. And like orphans let loose in the world, even though we don't remember that, and even though we weren't born in that part of our story, every single one of us feels the sting for what we've lost. And no matter how long we call this broken world home, we never manage to quite feel at home in it, right? C.S. Lewis, he's a professor at Oxford, or he was for many years, and he, he became a Christian kind of in the middle of his time at Oxford. And this is what he says. He says, our lifelong nostalgia to be reunited with something in the universe for which we now feel cut off or to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside isn't just something we've made up in our heads, but he says it is the truest index of our real situation. You see, the Bible doesn't try to explain away this longing within us as just some kind of after effect of a troubled childhood. It doesn't try to explain it away as just some kind of aging psychological remnant of this evolutionary process. But the Bible says that the reason we never feel quite whole is because we're not. And the reason we often feel like there's a piece missing from ourselves and from our lives is because there is. And when the Bible tells the story of humanity, it starts by telling us what we lost. But then the very next thing it does in the story is it starts to tell how in that vacuum, we began to do anything we could to fill that void. And so it starts, right, where we created small statues of men and women and animals and we kind of bowed down to them because we thought that our hunger was like merely a hunger for worship. 
and we read books and we studied and we became men and women of knowledge because we thought that our hunger was a hunger of the mind and we pursued relationship after relationship and body after body as though our hunger was only a hunger for sex or relational affection. And we pursued money and we bought cars and we bought boats and houses and toys as though our longing was only a longing for the physical and the material and we pursued the depth of ourselves. We pursued all of our desires as though our hunger was only a hunger for true self-expression and we brought vans and we bought bikes and plane tickets as though our desire within us was a desire for geography. And while all of these things, they soothe the ache, they don't fix it. Because no matter what mountain you are on, or who you fall asleep next to, or what test you just aced, we all fall asleep with a gaping hole in our humanity. Because the one thing we actually need is the one thing that is out of reach. Because the hunger you feel is a hunger for God. He made you. And he made you to be in a perfect relationship with him. And because of our choices and because of the story of humanity, we've been cut off from him. And I'm telling you that tonight as you sit here, even as you listen to me tell you about my hunger and you feel your own, I'm telling you, you are hungry for God. But then Jesus, he stands up in a crowd of hungry people like us, and he says that the bread of God, he says that the food that endures, the food that lasts, that satisfies, he says it is he who's come down from heaven. And he says, I am the bread of life. I am he who comes from heaven. He says, I am he who can heal your wounds. I am he who can satisfy your longings. I am he who can make you whole. And the reason that I can be all of these things for you is because I am he who made you. The man that you're looking at next to that sea of Galilee, you're the one who you're staring into his eyes, he's telling you he is God. And so if the food that we need is God himself, the question then is how do we get it? Because we were separated from him because of our sin, so how is it that we can now actually be joined with him? Well, this is a story about the God who provides. Because there's actually more to this illustration, right? Because Jesus calling himself the bread of life is more than just about him kind of like, he's like, hey, the way you, you take in food, you know how it like satisfies you? Like it's more than just that. <laughs> because think about how bread works. Like, think about it. The only way that bread brings you life is by you consuming it. You destroy it. You break it down. You disassemble it inside you, and it, you feed on it. Bread is destroyed, and it brings you life. That's how all food works. And Jesus says, I am the bread that came down from heaven, and I give life to the world, and this isn't where the analogy breaks down. This is actually where Jesus' analogy comes into focus because the way that Jesus brought life to the world was by being consumed and destroyed on the cross. Jesus can be life to us only because he died for us. 
Listen, Jesus did not come to help you. He he didn't come to give you life advice. He didn't come to give you some tips on kind of a healthy, happy life. He didn't come to kind of just like help nudge your life in the right direction. He didn't come to give you some rules and commands that will make your life a little more happy and healthy and give you a little better mental health and help your depression. Listen to me, that is not what Jesus came to do. No, Jesus came to offer to trade places with you completely. And this exchange of Jesus' death for your life Jesus' destruction for your renewal, Jesus' wounds for your healing. That is what this entire book is about. That's what the whole book of the Bible is about. Christianity is not about a God who stayed up in heaven and kind of waited for you to clean yourself up enough that you would eventually earn a seat at his table. No, Christianity is about the God who left his home in heaven to go on a rescue mission for you so that one day you might actually finally be able to come home. And a few verses later, Jesus sums it up. He just says this, verse 40. He says, for this This is the will of my Father, that everyone, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Do you you understand what Jesus is saying? I don't think there's going to be anything more important than you can hear than that. Jesus is saying, if you want life, like life, the thing you want more than anything, the thing you can't seem to find, like life that's satisfying completely and almost in such a way that you call it eternal. He's saying you don't have to work for that. You don't have to try to be on this hamster wheel this world put you on or this kind of this wheel of performance and performance and trying to please your parents or trying to get the grades that you want or trying to build up your body to be the kind of body that maybe this guy would like so you could get with him and you could get in this popularity group. He's saying you don't have to do that because what I did on the cross was so final. It was so conclusive. It was so effective that all you have to do to experience fullness of life, eternal life, is simply look at me. Life where you're never hungry. Life where you are never thirsty again. Jesus says it can be yours. Because what Jesus was doing on the cross was he was taking your hunger, he was taking your thirst, and he was taking your void. He was taking this gaping hole in your humanity, this separation you have with God, and he was taking it upon himself. And when the sin and the hunger of the world poured out upon Jesus' shoulders, right, he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because that's what your hunger's about. Jesus experienced the depth of human longing and sorrow so that you wouldn't have to. I just want to ask a really simple question. And I I remember when I was a student sitting in Salt Company, and I remember hearing stories about Jesus like this. And I remember people asking me a question like this. It was just like, are you hungry? Like, are you hungry? Do you feel that? Do you have that hunger within you? 
the message of the Bible is that Jesus can satisfy you in a way that nothing else in this world can. And some of you, I know that you're coming into this room and not just because of the weird crap we're going through right now, but just because of your whole story. I know that you're coming in really hurt and really broken and you feel like your story is really hard. And you feel, you coming in here and you're like, I'm not hungry, I'm starving. I want so badly to have life. I want so badly to not feel empty all the time. I'm telling you, that's why Jesus came. He knows your story, he knows your life, he knows your hunger, and Jesus came from heaven to be bread for you so that you would not spend the rest of your life trying to go from one thing to another, to another, to another, to another, trying desperately to satisfy this hole you have in you, but he came so that he could actually be God in flesh, your creator, your maker. He came from heaven to earth because that's where you are. And he died on a cross so that he could trade places with you so he could take your death and he could give you life. Salt Company is not filled with perfect people. And since this is kind of the second time we're in person, it feels like we're starting again. Salt Company is not filled with perfect people, but this group is filled with people who have tasted and seen that Jesus satisfies. That's why we're here. That's why we sing songs. And frankly, we're a group of people that are exhausted trying to run after the things of this world that the world tells us will satisfy us, but we know they don't. They didn't, they don't, and we're really tired of working so hard for satisfaction that is so temporary. And each week at Salt, what we do here as we come in this room, but also in our connection groups, is we gather together and we sit at the feet of Jesus. And we open this book and we get another glimpse of this man from heaven who doesn't just offer us food or doesn't just tell us which way the bread is, but he offers us himself. And little by little, week after week, connection group after connection group, time together around this Jesus, he's changing us. And more and more, we are becoming the kind of people that don't work for the food that perishes. Even though we have this muscle memory in us, like we've been doing this for so long that we have to like learn how to walk in this newness of life. But more and more, we are becoming the kind of people who are coming to Jesus for a kind of food that lasts, that endures for a kind of life that can only be described as eternal. Tonight, you sitting there, Jesus is offering you that. He's offering to be bread for you, to be life for you. He paid the cost, and all he's saying is, look at me, put your faith in me, consume me. Join yourself to me, and I will give you the thing you've been looking for your whole life. Let's pray. Jesus, I remember when I was in college, and I remember walking into salt companies night after night, and I remember just feeling with everything in me this hunger for life. God, I just, I wanted life so bad, and I had been doing thing after thing after thing, and as soon as it didn't satisfy me, I went to the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing, God, and I was just so exhausted. And then Jesus, you just broke in and said, hey, 
How about I just give you what you can't find yourself? How about I give you what you're never going to be able to find here? How about I reintroduce you to your maker? I'd give you my father. I'd give you eternal life. I'd give you a story that doesn't end in tragedy, but I'd give you a story that is a testimony that I would actually just give you this eternal life. Jesus, I pray for the people in the room who came in hungry. God, I actually, I really do pray that tonight you'd meet them right where they're at and they would say yes to you. In your name, amen.